0: everybody i am here with audi uh you probably have seen him recently on the digital foundry videos uh most especially the df retros but uh i'm sure he has quite quite a storied history beforehand. and and, uh lucky we get a chance to to hang out and talk so how you doing man pretty good finally i think this is the
1: most uh, hotly anticipated interview by no one but we've been trying (laughs) to set this up for like what uh i think uh first time asked was like four months ago five months ago Uh, I really, really have to apologize. I just didn't have time or the technical uh, requirements uh, because uh, my setup busted.
0: So. oh man well no problem and I, you know there's been a bunch of people that we we were pretty excited to do interviews and they never happened and it was never there was never a thing there was never an argument it was just exactly like you described like first one of us gets busy then the other one and then something happens with the setup so hopefully uh hopefully all that stuff will will clear itself up and we could all go and do a bunch of these whenever we feel like it now <laughs>
1: oh hopefully I, I wouldn't get too excited though considering who you're interviewing but i'll do my best
0: Nah, i'm sure this is going to be awesome any any (laughs) fan of a cdi at the very least has to have some interesting things to say (laughs)
1: we all live storied lives when having that console (laughs) we it's like a daily struggle
0: so for for all the uh you know the the fellow podcasters listening what happened with your setup that uh that, that cut you short from doing those
1: uh, well, I think my webcam was like from the medieval ages. I think that was the number one problem.
2: Huh.
1: Uh, it ran on string and hope and uh, just cut short. So we couldn't really do video. Mm. And then uh, I packed huh. my microphone. This one, a Samsung COU1. Uh, I packed this down in a sock and left it at John Limon's place. <laughs> and then COVID happened. <laughs> So uh, it kept warm in that sock for a long time. I have washed it though. Uh, Luckily, there's no vision for you, but I did wash it. (laughs) I started using it.
0: That's funny. So you just used that to um, just to protect it while you were storing it, and uh, and then just forgot about it, right?
1: Pretty much. I'm not actually. Maybe there's a longer story to why it ended up in a sock. I would have to ask John about that. (laughs) Uh, a lot of things happen when I'm there, but uh, yeah, let's just assume it was sent uh, into that sock for protection.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a, a trip years ago. I used to have this job where I got to travel all over the world, which as a kid, I never went anywhere, so I was always thrilled about it, but I got to be pretty good at the whole routine and never checking a bag and all that stuff, and there was one trip that was two weeks long that just because just I was stubborn, I was like, I'm not going to check any bag. So the first the first you know trip from home to the first location i was literally stepping inside a suitcase smushing all my clothes down and then after the first location i was like i can't even get the clothes back in here and how do you mix dirty and clean and i just happened to pick up a couple of prototypes at a fab house so i wrapped them all in my dirty laundry and shipped them back to the office and the the, the crew back at the office was like hey are those prototypes here yet like <laughs> you might want to wait for me to open that box. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be the one to to uh, open that packing material, should we say. So, yeah,
1: that was oh. pretty. <laughs> I thought you used to work as a chip and tail dancer. That's the rumor I heard.
0: Uh, big and tall, big and tall size only. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. All right, all right. No, and I, I really stink at dancing, so it's embarrassing. Uh, the fact that I could play guitar is shocking to me because I have no rhythm whatsoever when it comes to dancing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. I play guitar too, and uh, oh, nice. I do not dance. So.
0: <laughs> so, um, where where did you get started in all of this? You know, I've heard uh, I've heard you talk about some of the things you were involved in, and some of the people that you know. Like, uh, what's your origin story? Like, how did you even get into all this crazy video game stuff?
1: Well, for video games, um, I mean, I've been into it my whole life. Obviously, I mm-hmm. grew up with the Micros and the NES and an MSX. Somehow and so i just had like a large library of video games to draw from when i was a kid but the one thing i really loved more than anything was video game music and uh like even before i started like liking the games themselves the video game music by like chris holspeck and the uh, ben Dankleish leash and these people like inspired me as a kid like they really when i was like out and about running in the forest and stuff that was the music i was imagining not you know whatever, I don't know what my friends were imagining, but I was always playing like I was a Turk and Soldier, or you know, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, my love for video game music was kind of what spiraled me into, my dad's a history writer, and a kind of accomplished writer in Norway. And so, I always had a kind of fascination for history. So, because of him and the genes they uh, gave me, both good and bad, (laughs) uh, like, the ability to kind of remember and to accumulate information and share information was always very important to me because that's what he did with world war II. But I was like, well, people have heard about world war two, but they haven't heard about, you know, Daytona, you say, or Turkey two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was kind of my field. And so even at a young age, I became kind of like encyclopedic for my age. And, uh, that kind of led me, uh, I went to art school, which, uh, is, uh, you know, always a great decision to do in life <laughs> and, uh, but it had nothing to do there. It was just kind of, you know, not the talent that they were looking for, but uh, I had a great imagination and a great memory. So they were just kind of like, you know, what if we set you up with some kind of internship with a game company? And that's how I landed at Funcom when I was 17. So I was an intern at Funcom at 17.
0: So what's Funcom?
1: So Funcom was the developer behind, like, uh, Anarchy Online, Age of Conan, Mm -hmm. and uh, Longest Journey. Uh, All these games. I do remember my first day there, though. I don't think they liked me very much because they were showing me. Uh, I actually arrived the very first day they signed the Conan contract. So everyone was drunk. (laughs) and uh, just smash, because they've been up all night waiting for the facts. And uh, so I came in the door, and I had a wonderful guy called Didrik show me around. He was like, oh, so here's where we recorded the booth for, like, uh, the Longest Journey dialogue, and here's this, and here's that from, like, Anarchy Online. I was like, okay, like, not too much into PC stuff. But then they had, like, in the corner, in this dark room, they had this IKEA glass display, and in there was uh, Sega CD and Super Nintendo games that they had ported and worked on. So they had, like, the uh, Fatal Fury special Sega CD case and the Winter Gold on Super Nintendo. And I ran over and I was like, oh, my God, you worked on the Sega CD? And they were like, why the... I (laughs) I don't know if I can curse, but they were just like... of course. Swear
0: it up if you'd like. No problems here. What (laughs) the fuck do you want to know
1: about that for? It's like, no one plays that anymore. It's like, no one plays this? Motherfucker, no one plays, like, (laughs) Anarchy Online? No one cares about that. Like, how was Samurai Showdown? How was that the port? And they they were not too impressed by my insistence of uh, playing and talking about the Sega CD. So I was there for a little bit. I wasn't uh, at Funcom for long. But that was my entry into video games at 17. And then from there, uh, officially, I started just kind of uh, working in journalism. I started working for websites and eventually landed at places like Destructoid and these places people might remember me from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, and then Hardcore Gaming 101, that was pretty uh, well-acclaimed there for a while. Uh, and what I kind of had a knack for there was that I always made these huge, sprawling retrospectives of retro games. Like, it would be the entire series of Ninja Turtles games or the entire series of Asterix game, and it would include everything. This might sound a little familiar, considering who I work with these days. But it was very kind of like in-depth, you know, talking to the developers, talking to the composers and technically kind of inspecting these games, which wasn't the norm at this time. And At the same time, I was doing a lot of journalistic work in video game music in Japan because I was just someone that kind of had, you know, some knowledge of this and not too many people. It wasn't that I was the only one, but I was the only one crazy enough to try to reach out and communicate to these PC98 people and whatnot and uh, get some answers so I started doing a lot of articles and interviews with them so I just kind of grew into being uh, this I don't know video game music guy on the internet I suppose and that was my start.
0: You know it's funny a lot of the developers I've contacted over the years to do interviews with and stuff they were kind of surprised that people would want to hear from them. And on the flip side, everybody that watched the interview was like, how come no one's interviewed this guy before? guy, girl, whatever. Like, you know, how, like it it just, I guess people just assume that, People with talent. There's always people lining up to interview them, including other interviewers, by the way. So I'm wondering if, like, by the time I got to some of these pretty amazing developers, that I just, you know, uh, other other interviewers probably just thought somebody else had already done it and never, never, you know, reached out or anything like that. But uh, it's kind of funny because there's so much talent out there and so many awesome people in the scene, and it's really cool to be able to actually discuss all of these and uh, and really get. Um, you know, get people's stories out there and how they started and how they were able to do all this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was basically how I felt about it, too. This was, a, like, what I'm talking about now is, like, 2004, 2005, so it was pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had such fascination for, especially, like, the Japanese home computer scene in the 80s and 90s, because this the ty- type of composition and development was completely different from console. It was much more personal. It was much more... Uh, layered I felt and there was stories here that was not being shared and of course you know, language barrier was one of them and uh, still to this day my Japanese is not as good as it should be but uh, <laughs> I tried my best uh, but um, you know just like you said whenever I did get in touch with these people um, you know they had kind of left the industry or just kind of figured that you know their work especially in Japan the this is always kind of what I face said like oh I made this you know 25 years ago no one cares about this it's like absolutely they care about it and i care about it mm-hmm. and this is why i want to speak with you and it's uh, it's always interesting though because when you do get them to open up they light up it's clear that it was important to them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's when you get those moments that because you can't fake that you know when you get that kind of genuine uh, reaction that genuine care and love for what they did you know this makes for a good interview a good article and this is always why I sought out and luckily I could seek that out in Japan so I got you know lucky back in the early 2000s
0: hmm. that's pretty awesome so what you know you mentioned um, doing some journalism stuff I always kinda curious what people's definition of a journalist is is it does it somebody with a degree is it just somebody that's posted articles that went public
1: uh, so, I have an art degree, uh, but uh, I actually, th- because uh, an art degree means as much as the CDI does in the grand scheme of things, so actually my job, my daytime job here or in Europe, like after school for me, was working for the newspaper. So, I never, if, like, that, and this was through my dad, it was just, you know, he's like, I can get you a job at the newspaper and you can write. And was like, uh I don't want to do the same as you and uh, but you know I did what I did back then and uh, then I have always been a very critical person of myself and I kind of realized that I'm sitting here uh, I'm not getting anywhere I need to start traveling I need to start kind of expanding who I am as a person mm-hmm. so when I was uh, 20 I started traveling so I went to the US for the first time and uh, that was an interesting trip and then ended up in Brazil And really what I discovered was that, uh, for one, I was very lonely internally because whether or not people could speak English or my Portuguese was improving, uh, the type of people we were were very different. So I had to kind of speak to someone and what I found therapeutic was to do writing, just write whether or not it was a diary entry or it was an article, whatever, it became sort of for me a... Type of communication, and so this is how in Brazil at the time. Then I started writing about music, and I had a partner at the time that helped me translate into Portuguese so it can be published. And from there, um, I got kind of discovered a little bit from the websites in the U.S. and started writing for them, and then also like Retro Gamer in Europe and other magazines like that. So, yeah, it was just uh, you know throughout the 2000s, it was a gradual climb where people were like there's something about this dude you know (laughs) he's a little bit strange but he knows his stuff and he can write okay so uh let's have him do something and then um it was also my desire to just get these stories out and consolidate video game especially video game music this is very important to me was to kind of get the video game music information centralized and communicate properly because this was so often reported wrong, uh, I found, that like composers were not correctly you know, credited or didn't know the composers, uh, these kinds of things. And uh, the, the way I was in my brain was just like, no, no, this is wrong, they need to know this. <laughs> so it was very important for me to kind of correct this. And that's also how I kind of ended up on the original staff team at VGMDB at the time, because it was kind of like an effort to centralize all this video game music information
0: well i definitely want to talk about that um but just to go back for a second how long were you actually in brazil for
1: uh let's see together like two and a half years three years
0: okay yeah i got quite a bit of friends out there actually both you know people i've met in uh in person and people that i've just uh been corresponding with for a long time it's uh it's pretty interesting. You know, it's funny, too, what you said about um, sometimes you feel alone in a place like that, or a place that's not where you grew up. Uh, and I guess I, that could stand even where you grew up, because for me, as somebody that, like, you know, we were the, we didn't have the money to travel. So when mm-hmm. I started going to all of these different places, um, I really didn't feel like an outsider in any of them, even though... I I've definitely was, but there was one place in particular that was actually in the U.S. where everybody spoke English. That I, I like, I didn't get along really with anybody there. It was a completely different culture and mindset, even though it was, you know, it's a hour and forty minute flight from where I, I lived at the time. But it just felt like, you know, Taiwan felt like a second home. I'd gone there so much, made so many friends. It's a big city like New York. Well, Taipei is where I where I was most of the time. But this other place should have been so familiar. And it just, it wasn't, I made like two friends that when they were around, I'd have a drinking buddy. And then when they weren't, I would be writing stories. Uh, Just like you said, like, you know, find some way to communicate. I would be up in the hotel room writing and, uh, you know, eventually that that kind of evolved into retro RGB. So I I, I completely (laughs) understand, uh, you know, or at least I think I understand what you were saying when you described that. And it's funny too, because if you'd probably been dropped in a slightly different place, you know a different city or a different area you might have had a dif- wildly different experience uh, yeah
1: i don't know i mean i was in saparo mm-hmm. but um <laughs> what was uh you know in- brazilians uh, they're wonderful people they're very warm and friendly uh, very open-minded for the most part and uh, Also, very sensual. Like, it was an extremely sensual place. I'm from Norway. I barely have an expression. (laughs) And emotion is like a word in the dictionary. But I'm not too sure about the definition. So, when I came there, I was just like, you know, I scared people because they couldn't elicit much of a reaction from me. And I I tried my best, of course. And over time, it got better, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I'm a central man of many languages, <laughs> but uh, at the time I was just like you know uh, completely out of my element, and I was just like, "Hello, I'm Norwegian. Nice to meet you." It's like get 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 away from me, just. <laughs> so yeah, it was very difficult, and I had to have some sort of voice that responded to me. And I found that it was my own, that I could kind of at least just tell myself how I felt. And even this to me was a new thing, you know, just I hadn't even for myself thought about how do I feel about this, what what can I do about this, what is my weaknesses, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah, it was a great learning experience. And I mean, I, I still love all my friends from Brazil. I just wish I could go back, but uh, it's hard to travel these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's it's really good that you kind of threw yourself into that and forced yourself um, kind of out of the bubble. I guess I always had the opposite problem. I was always like the freaking Kool Aid man smashing through the wall everywhere <laughs> I went. So <laughs> oh yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. People were just like, oh God, you know. And I, I always get so offended when people from elsewhere in the world just talk about Americans as if all of us are, are loud, drunk assholes. But I am. So it's kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm trying to, whenever I traveled, to try to set an example, but I also had to still be me. And I'm just like, look, make, make fun of me, but we're not all like this. There's a lot of really good ones.
1: <laughs> Man, I remember my first trip to the U.S. So I, I hadn't turned 20 yet. I was 19. I just got out of school. I literally had, like, stepped out of school and, like, well, this is a mistake. And like what can i do and my dad and my mother who were wonderful supportive people were like you know we don't really have the money to travel but we'll help you because we can tell that like you you still need to find out what you want to do and so i went and they asked me well, where do you want to go and i think they expected like japan or something but i, I had no interest of in going there uh but what I, where i wanted to go was i wanted to go to new york and they were like why do you want to go to the us <laughs> it's like well there's that first scene in the Ninja Turtles movie where the cop eats the pizza. I want to go to the street corner and eat the pizza. And I actually, that was the first thing I kind of did. I, I went, didn't go to New York in the end. I went to Chicago, which a uh, wonderful city. Oh, I and did you ate go. their
0: pizza? Gross! I, I, I found. I
1: know. <laughs> Sorry, but,
0: everybody from Chicago is about to, <laughs> about to get on Twitter right now. Like, you son of a bitch! Don't you talk about that I didn't. Our I, I actually way.
1: found. I found a normal pizza place though, because. I discovered very quickly that Chicago deep dish is not a pizza. I'm very sorry to say it's a pie. Yeah, and come come at me, bro. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> I actually I but, still think
0: it's delicious, but it's, it's not good. The same. But I,
1: I can't stand on a street corner and hold it no. and eat it. I mean, I can, but I'm probably be <laughs> deported. But I just remember like that first bite. I I, I started crying because I was just like I, I couldn't believe you know that I was actually doing. I I was actually reenacting the Ninja Turtles movie. Like, I never expected. And i we never spoken English to anyone. I remember the family I, I stayed with. It was a friend of mine that I talked to on a message board. And we only, at that time, you know, didn't voice chat much. It was mid-2000s. And his family was, like, so ready for this foreigner to come over. And, like, they, they, they picked me up at the airport and they spoke so softly and quietly. They were wonderful people. They were like, oh, so we are going out of the airport and, like we're going to drive slowly so you don't get scared of the highways because they might. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll fuck with them for as long as I can. And so the whole like week, the first week there, I just had the most broken and like backwards English I could. And then finally at the dinner table, I was like, uh, by the way, I, I do, I think I speak okay English. And they're like, Whoa, like why? <laughs> <laughs> like, why did you do this to us? Like, because I could. Ah. So. But they took it with a smile.
0: Good. Now I I always like to ask people this that no one i've ever asked gets offended, but some people in the comments tend to i don't understand this at all, but I'm always fascinated about how people are able to speak multiple language from childhood. I always was wondering you know where where did you start with English? I know in uh, in Europe it's a lot different you know there English is kind of ingrained in certain parts of of society depending on what job you have and all that stuff and where you grew up. but where did you actually learn English and where you know where did you start speaking it in like a Casual manner like this.
1: Um, I'm deeply offended by this question. <laughs> uh, so I learned it from watching Ninja Turtles in WWF. To be quite honest with you, because I grew up in the 80s and uh, we didn't have English classes yet. Uh, mm. You could you could take them, but it's like British English. You're like, can I serve you soup, sir? And it's like <laughs> I don't need to know how to you know ask for soup. Uh, so. Uh, I just played video games and watched uh, specifically Ninja Turtles, but a lot of WWF and a lot of, you know, just the Saturday morning cartoons. Cause uh, we had the pirated satellite. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, so I got a lot of uh, American pop culture via this. I mean, um, you know, late, I used to sneak up at night and watch like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies all night long and just, uh, you know, B action movies and martial arts films, and then video games and Ninja Turtles during the day. That like that was my teacher, my sensei in English. So the f- so I learned through that because I really it was out of necessity because I was playing all these video games, and I wanted to understand them. So it was about five, I think. It, it, around five, five when I started reading English, and then I spoke English for the first time uh around the time when I went to the U.S.
0: And at that age, was it easy to differentiate between like, okay, this is a different language, but they're you know, when they're screaming and yelling, at each, the wrestlers are screaming and yelling at each other, and you know, hurling them across the ring. Like, I'm trying to think of what I would have interpreted that at five years old. Would I have been oh, I you know, mean, open I, enough to understand that not all Americans scream and throw each other across the ring, or would I have, you know, would I have?
1: I, I had two brothers, so that was just dinner time for me regardless uh, okay. <laughs> so the, the the screaming and hollering was just fine uh, I knew exactly what that meant uh but no I mean uh, I had a very good I still have a very good relationship to my my big brother is seven years older than me so I mean by the time I was born he was already super into comic books and he's really into like action figures and Star wars and this stuff so uh, just because of that too I had such good access to all this at a young age uh, because he kind of curated things for me uh so it was easy then, to
0: differentiate the culture when you you know when you're yeah, between a cartoon wrestling and you know just a regular tv show so
1: i guess so i mean because remember I i'm guess, asking
0: the five-year-old you you know the teenage you of yeah, course yeah. would know that the 10-year-old you obviously but uh, just the five-year-old That's you, five,
2: you know?
1: well i mean my favorites were like Jake the Snake and Bret Hart, <laughs> so like they and they spoke softly. I, I kind of so. gravitated, which I do too. I mean, uh, yeah, I'll give you some behind the scenes uh, secret here. My volume on my microphone is like at the top so that you can hear me. So I've <laughs> always been super soft spoken, and so I gravitated more towards uh, the storytellers than I did. Uh, I mean, I love the whole Hulkster and all that stuff, but my favorites were kind of like the people who were a little bit too beyond that they, they could talk calmly because they knew what they were doing
0: hmm. so um in in your travels so you you went from norway to the u.s and chicago for the first time played a really fucking mean practical joke in the family you were staying with <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were fine with it like uh they then- they, they,
1: they they thought it was funny
0: that that was sounds like a vacation, though, right? So then you just went back to Norway for a while and then moved no,
1: to Brazil? No, it, it wasn't a... No, so it was kind of set up where... Because, I mean, my friend... It was kind of like an exchange, though. One-sided, so I guess there was no exchange. Hmm. Uh, I guess they just imported me. But uh, they were kind of... Okay, you can stay for, here for a while. You can kind of figure out, you know, because... At twenty, I I was already an old man in my mind. I was just kind of like, oh, I need to figure out what I need to do, and like, I, I you know, I'm a flawed human being. I need to find myself. And it's like, all right, Obi Wan, like, just come <laughs> over to the states. And uh, yeah, when I was there, I uh, I got really involved with uh, again just video game stuff, but I got really involved with, like Magfest because they invited me as a guest because. My name had started spreading just because of my knowledge of Japanese video game music. So, because I was one of the few sources at that time that kind of directly had some connection to, like, Sega and things like this. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, MagFest invited me as a guest during that time, and I started helping them as much as I could. And I went there every year since. Uh, I haven't been many years now, but at that time, I used to go every winter because... Uh, they enjoyed my company, I guess.
0: That's cool. I don't think I've ever been to MAGFest, but I've been to plenty of others. So it's, uh, they're always fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, MAGFest was fun because it was more of a video game music convention. It was one of the few. And I, I was really into a band called the Mini Bosses at the time, uh, which I was like one that. of the... Yeah, yeah, they were like one of the first like uh, metal arrangement bands for NES music, mm-hmm. and uh, I I had kind of come into them via Japan actually because in Japan there's the Dojin scene which is similar. It's like arrangement of video game music, but it's organized much more with like its own conventions and whatnot. And then uh, I discovered the mini bosses and. You know, when I started going to MAGFest, I always felt like, well, this is the closest we can get to, like, a komiket or, you know, this kind of Japanese equivalent where you can present video game music in this fashion. So, yeah, I I went that first MAGFest just so I could kind of see the mini-bosses in action, and uh, they became a good friend of mine. So, it was a a great trip, and I have many wonderful memories from that.
0: Very cool. So, uh, you... I'm trying to I'm trying to picture the map of uh, of Audi here. So you you get to <laughs> Chicago, Don't. you get to Brazil, and then did you actually go to Japan at one point as well?
1: Uh, let's see. I forgot when my first like Jap- Japanese travel started. Uh, it's been kind of sporadic. But you didn't uh, live there.
0: Like, you were just traveling there.
1: Uh, not at the time. I, I later on I mm. would go to live and work there. Um, but at the time, no. In the mid 2000s, no. Um, and then late 2000s uh i was working primarily in europe with like video game music symphonies and whatnot like uh because at that time i kind of got into production rather because the journalistic uh, stuff it was fun but i don't enjoy so much Uh, what i found especially about the us sites and i mean this i'm I'm not slighting them for saying it but it was a lot of competition And i've never been one to compete i've always been kind of like we're a team and we you know create things together and we all benefit Mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of the us-centric sites were very much like this is my space that's you know this is what i do and we do not step into this territory and i found this very kind of hard uh because i couldn't i just don't have it in me to kind of go in with that aggressive mentality where it's like no this is my spot you know do not touch it i'm I'm always going to be kind of like yeah let's you know kumbaya everyone (laughs) so uh yeah so that's why i kind of like started going into actual video game production because i had an opportunity in the late 2000s or 2010 and then started going into that instead
0: it's funny you say that like um one of the the biggest, some of the biggest pushbacks I've gotten has been from journalists, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's why. I wonder if just my attitude of I'm going to do whatever I want and you're not going to stop me really pisses people off sometimes when it comes to stuff like yeah. that. Yeah,
1: so the, it's a it's an unfortunate kind of thing because I totally get the mentality. I mean, you're building stories and you're built, you know, they, it's, it becomes your child. I mean, when I was doing huge exposes on like new games and whatnot at the time. You know, you care about the story. You want to make sure everything is right, properly sourced and told. And, you know, it's your sources. It's your, you know, it's, it's yours. I totally got it. But uh, what I didn't get was just kind of like how I could not let other people come in and join me in this. And then, you know, if I have some things that need to be taken care of, I can help and we can work together and this this wasn't the mentality of most of the other writers at the time some of course but for the others no and so I, to- I totally get it and I'm not slighting anyone if if you work with me journalistically and feel like oh he's talking about me now no absolutely not I totally understood but for me this is not the way I wanted to write and I'm very headstrong also so I wouldn't I, I didn't enjoy just sitting there and like okay well you know just kind of crawl back into my corner I was very vocal that I like I don't
0: I don't understand
1: this this is not a good way to work hmm. huh
0: interesting so at what point did you uh, start working on the the video game music website because that's a site I never get the acronym right so you' have to spell it out for me but that's a site GdB gdvnet there's so many damn letters in that one <laughs> um,
1: yes oh uh, yeah that's uh so i'm I'm not gonna take credit for anything there i mean that's secret squirrel and chris hang and uh, those guys you know started it but i was part of the original staff members that came in to you know create what's there uh with like thompson and romsa Teo and Ramsa and all these great guys uh but yeah this came about just because as i mentioned uh i was known as a source for like japanese video game stuff i uh, was dependable because I could actually reach out to a lot of these composers directly and get proper credits or, you know, figure things out or even bring them on. I, I even did their podcasts. I was the host of the podcast for a while on that site. Uh, no longer active, obviously. But um, yeah, it was just kind of like, well, Audi's is one of those guys that knows a lot about the scene and Japanese video game music scene and knows those composers. So they just asked me like to come on staff, and I did. So it wasn't wasn't paid or anything, but it was uh, great. I mean, I love that site, and it's probably my favorite internet accomplishment. Not in terms of me, but I think the internet accomplished something by having that site because that has a full register of artists, of albums, of projects, all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's all in one place. It's all properly tagged. All this stuff that I was so gung-ho about earlier so it was a dream come true for me that that site actually came to exist and uh, yeah secret squirrel did an amazing job with that
0: and that site has music from every platform arcade every console right I mean that's uh, um, you really covered all ground with that one
1: yeah as I mean it has even grown because when it started it it was you know video game music database. And, uh, so we kind of focused mostly on getting fan works and official works. That was kind of the designation between them. And nowadays uh, they've added anime and tokusatsu and all, you know, all kinds of visual art entertainment in there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the database has exploded in size, but, uh, it's just such a good database that it doesn't matter. You know, you still find the information easily and, um, This was, uh, again, it was just something, it was exactly what I, even when I was doing journalistic work or just my own articles on like HD 101, it was always about getting information out to people and making it publicly available easily. So uh, yeah, I was very honored that I could be part of that original uh, setup.
0: Yeah, I just jumped on the site real quick to bring it up to make sure I was thinking of the you know the right one and i absolutely was I, I still use this site all the time very cool place. yeah
1: yeah, yeah. i mean it's still still looks the same to it. it has still has that purple uh yeah the purple coloring uh, but yeah i think uh i think that's uh, site's gonna last forever and then but yeah it's really cool um really proud of what they achieved with it
0: yeah that's pretty awesome so um this whole time, I mean, your your day jobs were still in, uh, in working with video game music people, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's uh, so. Because I worked for like local newspapers and stuff until like 2007, mm-hmm. and then at that point, uh, I was getting enough offers to like come as assistant or consultant or whatever it would be for different projects, usually involving video music. So like the symphonies in Germany by uh, the amazing Thomas Becker, you know, like, I, I didn't do much there, but I helped out as much as I could. And uh, just uh, the different video game composers that want to reach out to the Western fans, you know, I helped them as much as I could. And uh, I mentioned earlier, Chris Holsbeck, who was a legendary uh, C64 and Amiga composer. Uh, we met up eventually, And we, to this day, are, like, super close friends. So I started working with him and his, you know, management, basically, at the time, which was an interesting experience. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I just, uh, from, like, 2007 and on, uh, I I was still writing these articles for, like, uh, Hardcore Gaming 101. And, uh, you know, those were pretty popular. But my day job, yes, stepped into the world of actual producing and things like this.
0: So uh, where did you move on to from there then? I mean, it's, uh, I guess, the past 10 years. You're still obviously very deeply ingrained in the scene here. So
1: uh, Where I moved on in terms of my day job, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so I started working with Chris uh, closely and took care of his stuff. Mm-hmm. So that kind of led me into all these different game productions and whatnot. Uh, at the same time, here in Europe, uh, there was a couple of companies where... I had a consultant and assistant producer role, uh, which no longer exists. One of them was in Oslo and did mathematics games. Huh. And uh, they actually dragged me in to do the voice acting for an owl in one of those games. I still <laughs> cannot find that game. Uh, but if anyone out there hears this voice right now and is like, that sounds like the owl that taught me math. Please send me an email because <laughs> I, I would like to get that game. Uh, and, uh, yeah, from there, let's see, I'm trying, I, it's been a long time since I thought about all this, from there, in like the early 2010s, I started working also in localization, because some companies came up, uh, via friends of mine, and so there's one company I've been working with for many, many years, and that's, uh, Sakai Project, which does a lot of localization for, like, Japanese adventure games in Taiwan. You mentioned uh, Taiwan earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of Taiwanese uh, games that we uh, localize and publish. So, yeah, that's kind of my day job stuff kind of ends up in localization and producing because I started producing games as well at that time, like actually producing the games themselves.
0: Very cool. uh, Have you ever played any other speaking role in any of them, or were you just the wise owl that one time? Uh, Let's
1: see. Yes, I have secretly been uh, not much of a voice actor as people on DF Retro would know, but uh, let's see. There is a visual novel where I have to step in and do a voice and there is a game coming out where I do the shopkeeper voice. Because they asked if I want to do it, because uh, of my great fame from DF Retro, I guess they wanted me to do the shopkeeper voice. That's awesome. So yeah, so uh, voice acting is not my forte <laughs> or my talent, but it is fun to be asked.
0: It, it's funny. You never know if you're good at that stuff unless you just try it.
1: Oh, I I know if I'm good or not. I'm not.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So no. So yeah. But uh it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to do because uh i really in my especially my daily life i really do not express myself much i'm a very quiet person so when people ask me to do stuff like that it's like you want me to say what now in what way (laughs) it's like all right how it's like as a southerner like i can't do a southern accent so it's always uh, it's always kind of interesting, uh, these requests. I try my best, though. I can't say no. But... Mm.
0: That's pretty funny.
1: Or do it in Japanese, which is even harder.
0: Yeah, how many languages do you speak?
1: Uh, fluently, I don't know what. Uh, obviously, I speak the Scandinavian languages. Uh, I have a pretty good... Uh, I've heard I have a pretty good Danish and Swedish accent. Because normally here, people try to speak with their own language, and it kind of works. But I, because I traveled so much between these companies, eventually, especially uh, Sweden, because of the game industry there, I was just like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get the accent down, and then uh, I think I speak okay English. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then I got pretty good at Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, when I was there. Uh, at least in my mind, I got good. I could at least order soup in also Portuguese as well as British English. And uh, Japanese I'm okay at um, I wish I was better I every time I do speak Japanese is like god that's damn not... it like why did I pay attention in school <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm fairly okay in German I guess that's and uh, my partner is French so she tries to teach me French <laughs> but I emphasize on tries so yeah I mean mm-hmm.
0: I guess that's it. That's quite a long list. The Scandinavian (laughs) languages always fascinate me too. I was out in Sweden for work. um, And one person that met us there was from Norway. And uh, the two people had never met before. The the three of us had never met before and were hanging out. uh, And they're speaking. uh, I mean, I guess they were just, he was trying to speak in Swedish. And he points to the, I I don't know what was in his hand. Maybe it was a hammer. I honestly don't remember, but there was a tool in the other guy's hand. And he's like, What do you guys call that? And he said the name. He's like, oh, that's funny. We call it this. And then, you know, they just they needed to break into English just for that one sentence just to be like, oh, yeah, what's that? But the whole rest of the conversation they were able to communicate. No problem at all.
1: Yeah, that's the thing about these languages is that we have like these words that will just throw off the entire language and like ruin your day. It's like, (laughs) what did he say to me? Like, I'm pretty sure it meant something about my mother. But it's like, no, it's just the name of a wrench in Swedish. So, uh, But it is interesting because you really, you get only so far, especially when you're working there. Like, for me, what I noticed when I worked with, like, game developers and stuff stuff, they just switched over to English because it's like trying to get all the, like, we had to re-explain ourselves because, like, well, I kind of got what you meant, but there was a couple of words in there I didn't, like, what does that mean? It's like you know what, Like, let's just speak the international language as appointed and, like, screw this.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm lucky that I get to be lazy and just sit back and fall. <laughs> yes. I can't tell you how many times out in Taiwan we were speaking to somebody from Hong Kong, which uh, they speak Cantonese um, mm. predominantly, and then in in Taiwan it's predominantly Mandarin, so everybody ended up speaking in English, and everybody was really bad at each other's language, so it was kind of amusing and frustrating to just sit there and just be patient and, and get through. But luckily with nerd stuff, like you know, but power and ground or power and ground in every single language, you know, whatever you yeah. call it, it's still going to be power. So it's with the nerd stuff, it, it wasn't too bad, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, retro gaming also has become very easy uh, across languages. So yeah, it's it's becoming more universal.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I always thought was so cool about it that I didn't realize until after I had started Retro RGB and that just like music, it, you could have nothing else in common with somebody. You could not speak their language, but you absolutely could bond over loving the same game, loving the same songs, playing the same instrument, you know, your, your fighting style and Street Fighter. You know, it's just it's one of those very interesting things that reminds everybody uh, how how human beings really communicate, you know, it's not just language. You know, there's a lot more to it.
1: Oh yeah, Street Fighter Two might just be like the greatest communication tool we've invented in the last century. Because it's like uh, I can't tell you how many times when I lived in Brazil, I didn't speak anything, or even in Japan in the beginning, it's like you can't understand. You can point, you can kind of like say one word or two words, you understand. But playing Street Fighter. Everyone had a good time, and you kind of got the sense of their personality a little bit from their tactics. Because I play a lot of fighting games, so it's like, oh, okay, sneaky bastard is like this, huh? And uh, so, kind of make you can make friends without even saying a single word for Street Fighter. So absolutely, and I love Street Fighter too.
0: The other thing too, you don't need to be good at video games to enjoy them. I mean, like if you just no, you could. You know, even if you're a beginner, you could certainly find ways to get started. And even if you're never like me, I'm I'm never going to be at the level of many of my friends. It's never going to happen. I could practice every day, all day. You know, I'm never going to dunk like Michael Jordan. I'm never going to be able to play Street Fighter like my friends. But we could absolutely have a match and still enjoy ourselves. Doesn't matter if I win or lose. It's still going to be fun. And in fact, a lot of my friends try their like you when. I mean this in a nice way, by the way, but they they kind of use playing against me as practice time like okay i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna beat bob with no blocks or you know without ever using this and it's fun for both of us because i have a fighting chance now and and they get to practice strategies and you know everybody has a good time you know everybody knows i'm not there to try and become the next fighting game champ i'm just there to have some fun and laugh with my friends so
1: yeah i'm not competitive at all either so i have a lot of fun just playing you know Street Fighter 2 casually with even now I have two nieces I mean the eldest one is uh, four years old and she finally now kind of gets the concept of video game controllers and of course is like alright well you're at that level we're going straight to Street Fighter (laughs) 2 and uh but she had a lot of fun and uh Kids always like Blanca, so they always pick Blanca. Me but too. Still, I yeah, am a big kid, like...
0: though, so that's probably why.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so you play Blanca, and it's just fun to see them figure it out. And, like, again, it's, like, it's a tool. It, it, Street Fighter 2 is a magical thing. We could do probably an episode on just Street Fighter 2, but I guess that's not the topic of today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I always love Street Fighter, but for whatever crazy reason, Mortal Kombat was always my favorite. And it's it's the only it's I don't want to say I'm good at it, but it's the only one where I absolutely wouldn't embarrass myself if I went and played with a bunch of pros. So I always loved that game. I don't know why. It's just my thing. I think. Oh, I
1: I, I love Mortal Kombat. I, I mean, I love fighting games in general. It's the one genre I play the most, most likely. And um, yeah, Mortal Kombat was such a it was such a phenomenon when it released. Even here for me, uh, it was just because. Uh, it's it was different it didn't it it did its own thing and it made such an impact That first uppercut it just the impact of that punch was like forceful and like almost painful to watch and uh, so it was like a transcendent video game moment when I saw Mortal Kombat for the first time
0: yeah yeah the first time I saw Sub-Zero's finishing move I laughed so hard Cause like it's weird. Like I don't like realistic violence. There's awesome movies like House of a Thousand Corpses, which is scary and it's a really great movie. But there's a scene where you don't actually see anything, but it's kind of horrible. Like you know what's going on. Like I don't, I don't enjoy that. But like I, I was just, just watching the boys. And you know, spoiler oh, yeah. alert. At one, you know, there's it's a, it's a pretty gory thing. And when their heads exploded, I was just giggling because <laughs> it's not realistic. You know, it's not. It's just fun and silly. So
1: yeah yeah you tow a line i mean if you know Mortal Kombat is so mystical and it, it, i think it's a color you know it has bright blue and yellow and you know so it kind of takes you out of that realism and puts you in a fantasy setting mm-hmm. uh, which i think those new Mortal Kombat's kind of lack a little bit because they go a little bit too far for me because pers- i hate violence too
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh but i love action i always you know i done martial arts since i was a kid and uh, was, as I mentioned, I was watching like martial arts movies and all. I still do. It's my second love uh, alongside video games. So I'm very into choreography and action and these things. But if you show me violence, if you show me like gore, I am completely repulsed by it. and I'm not into that, uh, both in movies and video games.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, you know, it's funny though that you like fighting games because it's kind of perfect then. It is that fantasy of you get to have your your kung fu movies that you control without actually hurting anybody. So,
2: Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, that's goes hand in hand. And lately, one thing I've been doing lately is audio commentaries for Blu-rays uh, for martial arts movies like Jackie Chan and Van Damme movies. Oh, really? Uh, because, yeah, because somehow this happened like anything else in my life. But uh, So it's yeah, actually so, like, like
0: a, a legit... Licensed reprint of the movie with yes. one of your audio yeah. tracks on there? Yes. That's pretty cool.
1: Uh, so I've been doing 15, I've done 15 so far, ranging from Van Damme, Jackie Chan, and some other uh, upcoming ones now. It's very, I mean, audio commentaries are very interesting to do. Uh, it requires a lot of research and it also requires a kind of concise train of thought, which is not my specialty. But, um, It's interesting because when I do that research, because I'm such a video game guy, I always kind of look into what's the video game angle of this movie. Like, did it impact video games at all? Did video games impact the movie? And I find that, like, in most cases, yes. You know, I was doing a Jack Chan movie recently from 1981. And I was just browsing through interviews and old documentation on Street Fighter and just so happened to see that they mentioned that specific old Jackie Chan film as an inspiration for Street Fighter. And I was like, oh, like, I don't think this has been talked about much before. And so I talked about that on the commentary. So it's interesting to see these worlds come together for me because not too many people do all this stuff. So it's uh, fun to merge my loves together finally on actual Blu-rays.
0: That's really awesome. That's so cool You get the opportunity to do that. I remember yeah. I loved all those martial arts movies, but for some reason when I was a kid, the Steven Seagal movies always cracked me up. And, you know, in hindsight, oh, no. I, you know, I'd probably... <laughs> oh, no. They probably wouldn't be my favorites now, but I loved them then.
1: Actually, uh, the fans that have been listening to my commentaries for Van Damme movies have pointed out that I have a certain dislike for Seagal. Because, you know, at the time, Segal and Van Damme were like arrivals, mm-hmm. both box office in real life. They had a real-life feud. And, you know, Seagal never lived up... For me, he never lived up to anything that was said about him. He was very technical. I mean, his Aik- Aikido was... Very, you know, poignant and technical, but it doesn't translate well on screen, I felt. And he runs like a sissy. So I could, I could just never get into him. And uh, so on, and he was a terrible actor. He can't act. He's just Steven Seagal. Yeah. Today, Steven Seagal is on a boat. Today, he's on a train. Today, he's saving the rainforest. It's just like, it's just Steven Seagal doing Steven Seagal. So on the commentaries, I always mention that like, Van Damme has kind of like an emotional weight to him. He can kind of, you know, he can tell you a lot by just his eyes, his expression, and that's acting. And so some Steven Seagal fans have actually reached out to me being like, yeah, don't be hard on Steven. He wasn't an actor. He was a CIA agent. It's like, oh, uh, of course he was. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I suspect that it's actually Steven himself.
0: Sending me these messages, you know, I wouldn't put it past crazy people. These <laughs> Probably not. Who knows? That's funny. I, I, I remember watching all of those movies. I remember enjoying them. Uh, I didn't enjoy Street Fighter as much as
2: <laughs> as much. Oh, as
0: that's the,
1: one of the ones I did a commentary for.
0: Oh, I have to. I have to watch that now. I have to watch it. With oh, your yeah, commentary. I'll, se-
1: I'll send you. A, I'll send you a copy of it. Yeah. So that one, uh, Columbia Pictures, oh, Sony Pictures, reached out to uh, me and uh, John. Because they wanted something new for the Blu-ray. And, uh, and when I say John, I mean John Limon, obviously. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they were just kind of like, we want the new audio commentary for this film that kind of brings together the film and the video game. And we don't want someone that will just instinctively say it's a bad film. Because I don't think it's a bad film. I don't think it's uh, a think bad it's...
0: film either, but it's it's got its moments...
1: it certainly has its moments Uh, and I think uh, when you know about the production uh, it it all makes sense Mm. and I think that the performances by Raul Julia is like a classic supervillain, and all these things so actually I did the official commentary track for the new print of Street Fighter on Blu-ray and uh, that was a lot of that was a huge (laughs) that was one of those moments where I just pinched myself and asked what's happening to my life because uh, yeah, uh maybe we're we'll gonna do it by i mean i spent many years in kind of exile i was just depressed and i didn't do anything with myself because i just lost faith in my abilities like uh, about seven years ago so these last two years have just been insane when you know first of all people remember me is one thing but the other thing is Getting to do like the audio commentary for the official re-release of Street Fighter the movie, which I grew up with and like idolized, Uh yeah, it still makes me quite emotional thinking about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's nuts. That is absolutely awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what's funny about that movie the uh the star that lasted the longest for that one, Ming Na Wen. She had her research, and she was awesome in, in um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She was probably the best character in that. And then she's in The Mandalorian now. No, no spoilers. Uh, that's not a spoiler. That's, she's no, in No, no. She was in season <laughs> one. No.
1: So. Yeah, and she's great. ming ends. And all. Is, uh, she looks the same. That's the most important. <laughs> like, she still looks the same as she did in Street Fighter. She and can still do all those crazy aged. moves,
0: too. That's,
2: that's Yeah, yeah. You know. She's...
1: And, uh, I mean, she's also someone that uh, I actually spoke to her shortly just via email. Like, this is actually not in regards to the Street Fighter movie. It was something else a few years ago when she did. This is when I was uh, doing Destructoid stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was in the E3 or something. But she was doing voice work. And I just got to, like, shortly say hello. And she's incredibly beautiful in real life. But, I mean, she was also Aki Ross in the Final Fantasy film. And, like, she's just had a lot to do with video games. So, yeah, she's a pretty she's a cool girl and yeah, she's probably come the best out of Street Fighter. She probably had the most sustained career, I'd say.
0: She was also in that movie um with the same title as The Terrible Game, Hong Kong 97. Oh, Hong Kong 97. Yeah.
1: Yes, with uh, Robert Patrick. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's, 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 uh, it's uh, not it's either one of their her best earliest. movies. <laughs> no. No, you can see Robert Patrick's ball sack, but I guess you can see his (laughs) ball sack in Terminator 2 as well, if you look closely. So that's kind of his thing, I guess, in the
0: 90s. You know what's funny about him is uh, I've always been a massive fan of the X-Files. I remember sitting on my grandparents' floor, seeing the previews for it before, you know, that summer, before it even debuted, and I never missed an episode. And by the time seasons 8 and 9 came out, like, no it should have just ended like it shouldn't have continued oh yeah nobody wanted to see a Mulder replacement and i remember just watching him with such disdain just like in the first episode he was in he did the terminator run which was kind of funny and then that was it like and i a few years ago i rewatched every single episode over the course of like a year and he absolutely carried those seasons he was oh he's great no
1: he he was awesome in the x-files because i used to watch (laughs) x-files religiously as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and also the spin-off if you remember that with oh, the uh of course uh, the lone gunman. Yeah, the lone gunman. Which uh, uh yeah. That was pretty good but, too. Uh, it wasn't yeah, bad. It was all right. It wasn't bad. Uh, I was more into Millennium at the time. I loved Millennium with uh, Lance Hendrickson, which was kind of a also a slight spin off. Yeah, I didn't even had a uh, crossover. I
0: never gave that one a chance. I probably should. Oh you
1: should. Uh, especially the first season is amazing. And, I mean, I love Lance Henriksen and almost everything he does. So, uh, yeah, you should definitely check out Millennium. Uh, That was my go-to show at that time. But yeah, X-Files I used to watch, and I had the same reaction as you. It was like, well, now's a new cast, and it's not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. But then I I came around earlier than you, though, because I was, like, watching. And I was like, "Uh, he has his own thing going. He is his own. You know, he's a little bit more grounded than Mulder is. I kind of like his approach. So yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: It's funny. I took um, I did this with Night Rider as well. But I when I watched them all, I took like little notes on each episode. And I figure someday if I ever if I ever have a free moment of time ever again, I would love to go and do like a a pushing up roses style video on on some of these either episodes. Oh, or Oh yeah, that.
1: yeah. She she's great. She also did the murder. She wrote. I saw. She does I haven't a bunch seen of them, too yeah. much of videos. Yeah, but uh, I, I love uh, the way she presents these videos. So. Uh, I'm very, uh, very late to the YouTube game, personally, because I didn't watch any YouTubers uh, throughout these last few years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm discovering now, thanks to, like, DF Retro and all this, like, all these wonderful people that are actually in the community and surrounds the community. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I I did see her, because I think she worked with uh, Clint a little bit as well, yeah, uh, Lazy Game Reviews. So yeah uh, good stuff it's and uh, yeah she did x-file stuff as well
0: yeah yeah, one or two yeah Yeah. and uh, a lot of the stuff that she does i actually recommend like if some of the games that she talks about if you're just in it for a blast of nostalgia it's it you'll get more enjoyment out of watching a twenty minute video of hers than you will going back and playing, you know, whatever game it was for three hours and having to bang your head against the wall trying to get through all the crap we got through when we were kids because you right. bought the game and now you have no other choice. This is all you got to do with it. So, yeah, those are pretty cool. It's funny though. I'm I was late to the game in YouTube as well, and I, I'm still kind of not in the loop because by the time I got like I started doing videos, I uh, I was so busy with everything else that I didn't. I never really had time to jump into that, and every time I talk to people who do YouTube videos, they're always dropping all of these names of all these great channels that I'm supposed to know about, and I just don't know who most of these people are. And it's it's my fault, obviously. I'm not trying to take away from what they're doing. I'm just like I'm completely out of the loop, and I, you know I try to find different ways to catch up and, and watch some of these very cool content and channels, but it's hard. There's a lot of good stuff out there.
1: Yeah, I don't consider myself a YouTuber. I don't have my own channel or anything. Uh, But it's... uh, Because, like, in the early 2010s, my impression at the time, I was working at, like, websites. Mm. And when, for example, if I review the game, and then I watched, like, a review on YouTube at that time... It was very cent- like angry game nerd centric stuff, and uh, no offense to him, I'm, uh, you know, he has his legacy and uh, he's done great stuff. I, I, but that wasn't my type of video. I didn't enjoy watching someone, you know, pursue curse all over and talk about poop so much. Uh, so like, uh, you know, this is his style and was fine. But for me, working in reviews at the time, I was frustrated with it because. When I was reviewing a game, you know, I was trying to be, you know, (laughs) bring out what is good about the game, what is bad, and for the most part, there was very little kind of response to this approach, but then when I looked at YouTube at the time, it was like people were like, that guy is funny because he said that, like, the difficulty of this game is like pooping on a buffalo or something (laughs) like this. It's like, well, I mean, yes, we've all been there and done that, but... Is it really that interesting? Like, well, it's too. Don't completely you want to know why *Gianna Sisters* is a good game? It's two completely. Yeah, different it's two things. different things.
0: <laughs> it's really easy to get frustrated, but it's not like you shouldn't be comparing one to the other. One is entertainment, and you know, even even James himself said a bunch of times that he actually didn't mind a lot of the games he reviewed. He just thought it was funny and called out the bad parts right, of right. them. Whereas you know, a legitimate review that it, people are going to read based on whether they want to buy a game or not—that's that's a completely different thing. And it's kind of the, all entertainments like that, right? I mean, if you get a news channel that just says, like, here's what's going on today, versus you have the channel that's like, you know, and stay tuned after the break to find out why everyone in your house might die. Like, you know, that one's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's going to get all the views because it's all the clickbait nonsense crap. But it's two different things. So,
1: Oh, it's totally two different things. I mean, it's totally on me for not earlier understanding a little bit of the dynamic here but i mean just working and just kind of and as i said it was not my style of video and i would just felt like anywhere i was looking this was youtube it really made uh, youtube for me seem like so i I never watched youtube and then when i john kind of invited me back into the industry this way um and i started getting recommendations from him to like watch my life in gaming for example i remember he told me that like There's this channel called My Life in Gaming. They're good friends of mine. You should check them out because we should do something together, all of us. And I was like, all right. Never heard of them. Kind of weird name. And then I binged watched it from like 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. that night. I was just like, I couldn't get enough of it because I was like, this exists? Like, this is so well-researched and, like, Corey's so handsome. Like, I just, (laughs) I can't, like, this is actually real? And uh, I'm kind of sad now because there's so much content I missed out on with this mentality and this kind of um, poisoning of my own thinking, what YouTube could be that uh, now I'm trying to ca- catching up and discovering all these great guys because it really is a, the retro community is really an awesome and wonderful place, which uh, I never thought I was going to be welcomed into this way.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's very easy to walk into any community and, and just see what stands out the most. You know, the loudest voices are always the one most heard, but they almost never, you know, represent the majority of people. So it's very easy to walk into a a new community and just go, oh, this isn't for me. Like, just because you happen to stumble across the one forum where, you know, the trolls rule and not, you know, it's not (laughs) like that everywhere else. So it is a cool place, and I've met so many amazing people.
1: Yeah, truly. I mean, the last few years meeting, you know, these people, just because one thing is just the content to create which is awesome but then you know meeting them at e3 and things like this or talking to you like the it's like the people that you are are so friendly and warm and welcoming and uh, for many years i i didn't even welcome myself much i was just kind of like eh you know i'm kind of out of this stuff and then uh, to come back and just see how great everyone is and as you mentioned earlier it's like we all speak the same language of these video games so yeah. even even if i don't know them too well it takes me like 2 minutes and we already come, there's something in there there's some game we played like at the same time or something where it's like okay we totally get each other and uh it's really fun to make new friends this way
0: you know you uh you mentioned a couple times and if you know if this is a a personal question i'll cut this part out i don't mean to offend anybody on this one um, go ahead you mentioned getting depressed uh for a period of time did you have something that snapped you out of it because a lot of my friends suffer from bouts of depression here and there it's only i mean everybody gets bummed out now and then that's totally different but i've only had one actual like stretch that lasted like a month and then i had something fun happen, (laughs) and then i got busy and didn't have time to be depressed (laughs) that was it i was back to being just like a fat drunk santa claus I usually am, but it's uh, you know, I, I was just always curious if somebody had their I, I don't know, I, probably the opposite of trigger, whatever that is to snap them out of something like that.
1: Well, you say you're a Santa Claus, but I'm the one wearing this uh Christmas shirt, fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, no, so yeah, I'm not, I've never been a depressed person myself. Uh, what kind of happened was. Uh, I burnt out uh, and I said earlier I was very critical of myself more so than anyone else could ever be I'm my biggest critic and in the like 2012 13 period I was just for one I had almost uh, passed due to a kidney issue Oh so my health was very bad and uh, that actually happened at MagFist Uh, that was I think the last year I was at MagFist Uh, I was the caretaker of Koshiro Yuzo because he was a friend of mine and he was like hey you should come to Magfest and take care of me because I don't know what I'm doing. So I went there with him. And during that time, I had a kidney, sh- like my kidney shut down. And I had to take him to the train station back to the airport. And then after that, I was just like, well, I'm dying. So my friend rushed me to the hospital and I almost uh, passed. Wow. So I had that moment, which uh, was not fun, uh, you could say, because that. Uh, uh, first of all the hospitals in the US I luckily had insurance but uh, just that feeling was not fun and it was very difficult mm. and the, the recovery for that was uh, I never really talked about publicly but I mean my recovery for that was extremely painful and took a long time I was very sick and thin for a long time and I tried my best to kind of get back on my feet and I tried too hard uh, I, I crowdfunded a book, and I really wasn't ready to for that scope of a project. I did finish it, but it took too long, and it was fully my responsibility and my fault for it taking so long. But you know that just like constantly criticizing myself for I'm taking too long, I can't finish this, I can't do this, I'm falling behind, I'm I'm not growing. This is my biggest problem of anything, just just, like. I felt like I just kind of, well, I am a producer, yes. And I'm localizing these Japanese video games, yes. That was my day job. But I was just kind of like, you know, I've, I kind of felt like my spot in the industry had been set and I had peaked. Because I had done these, like, popular articles on, like, uh, hardcore gaming and people remember me for that. And I, I just felt like I was, if I was remembered, I was remembered for something I had done. And I was not getting anything done in the future that was kind of like, Oh, he's still at it. You know, he's still good. Uh, so I was just getting frustrated and then fell into a deep depression. due to this, I just burnt out quite simply.
0: Yeah. You know, somebody asked me to describe burnout. Um, because I, 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 a couple of times I just hit a wall where I was just like, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't continue for a couple of days. I had to take a day or two off and just do nothing almost. And, Bear with me here, because this is the, like I promise. This is gonna thirty seconds from now, you're gonna understand what I'm talking about. But no, like, ahead. imagine imagine you had to get a job where the job was taking cinder blocks, you know, off of a truck and stacking them up against something. How long, you know, how long do you think most people would last before their arms just wouldn't be able to lift anymore? It'd be like going to the gym and doing nonstop reps all day. I'd mm-hmm. probably make it through the day just because I'm stubborn, and then not even be able to like you know l- open a refrigerator the next day. So it's a day you burn out. Well, how, how long would it take if they were bricks? And how long it would take if they were little rocks? And then how long would it take if they were glasses? And it's kind of the same thing when you're working on stuff mentally. Right, even you know, even mm-hmm. if there's physical stuff involved, there's gonna get a point where if you don't rest between how many you've picked up, metaphorically obviously, like you you just you're not gonna be able to pick anything up anymore. And i you know, the lighter the thing is, the longer it takes without a break. But if you work every day for a year, two years, you're just you're gonna hit a wall. There's no. There's no human on the planet that can't unless you have proper breaks in between and, you know, a way to clear your head, a way for your, you know, your muscles to, to regenerate after after doing all that. So, you know, I'd, I wish I took better care of myself, but I definitely hit the wall at least once a year. And is that do you think that's a, a good analogy for what happened to you as far as, you know, burning out in some of these projects?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good enough analogy that makes sense. Because uh, I was just someone that didn't, uh, I, yeah, taking good care of yourself is a good way to put it. Because I just like, well, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how I am. And I, I already had health issues. But I was just like, no, no, I mean, I took on this project or I, you know, crowdfunded this or whatever I did. And, you know, because I had so many things at once because uh, I was really trying to my best to just kind of have some, like I'm a workaholic. So one thing is that I can't stop. Mm. But the other thing is also just like, I, I just want to keep going and do things that matter and get people information, get like, leave something behind that. Like doesn't matter if I wrote or not, but in a hundred years, if someone finds the book I wrote or whatever it is, then that has all the information you would ever need about that. And that was the detriment in that sense because uh, I kind of built up this reputation for doing these huge expansive things. And then I did a book that was going to do every single game within a genre and that would turn out to be, like, 750 games. And I had to pay out of pocket to go to Japan, like, six times and to find all these different pachinko machines because that was related. It was it, it just const- constantly, you're talking about, like, these bricks. It's like, for every step I took in the right direction, it was like, well, now it has expanded, and I need to do this now and this now. I add it up, I added up. And I just, as angry as anyone else could be that I missed a deadline. It was like, I was so angry at myself for just, you know, not getting this done because I'm supposed to and I'm good enough, right? You know, I, I'm i supposed to be good enough to do this and why am I not good enough? Why am I not finishing this the way I thought I was going to do it? So I just, uh, I was too harsh on myself to be quite honest and I uh, went through a, you know, valuable lesson. It's just kind of like listen to your body for first <laughs> one and then um, talk to your friends. This is what, saved me in the end was like because I was completely out of the industry outside my day job which I didn't you know think much of um but I had wonderful friends at work of course that supported me but what kind of helped me eventually was that my wonderful partner Vivi was always supportive and she was just kind of like constantly pushing me to like just even if you share one thing you feel just share that with your close friends just tell them how you feel because i can guarantee you that one of them knows how you feel and then you'll start talking you'll start opening up and will feel easier and that was the solution so i mean she saved my life as she always
0: does that's really cool that's um that's neat that's a nice way to approach that i don't know it's a it hearing you speak and hearing all the pressure that you put on yourself you know, I definitely put too much pressure on myself, but I do it in such a pompous, arrogant way that I, <laughs> I never think, like, I'm not good enough for this. I always think, like, oh, I'm not good enough for that yet. I'll get to it eventually if it's important. Let me do what I can now. Let me work to that later. Let me just... Man, I'm such an asshole sometimes. <laughs>
1: oh. I, You, you, I, you kind of have to be. But, yeah, I, I did not in the reverse. I, I already assumed I wasn't good enough, and then... I have to constantly prove to me, like, I internally tell myself, like, oh, you're not good enough for this, and it's like, oh, yeah? And, I mean, I've been this way my whole life, where it's like, if especially, like, ten years ago, if someone told me I couldn't do something or that wasn't possible, I, I would make it possible. And uh, <laughs> that was a mentality that got me up to, like, the highest offices at Sony of Japan and changed, like, guidelines even. Because, like, I was working on a game, and it's like, oh, you can't do it this way. It's like, oh, yeah? And uh, it eventually reached the top of Sony, and I actually managed to change, like, a small guideline, but still. And it just tells you kind of how crazy I was about this stuff. I was very stubborn. That's awesome, uh, But though. eventually, I just didn't have the energy. I mean, I didn't have the body or the health at that time to be that stubborn, and I refused to listen. And uh, that was the kind of downfall. But luckily you know it still worked out in the end
0: hmm. well i'm very glad it did now you uh you name dropped um uh i'm terrible at pronunciation yuji koshiro oh
1: koshiro, koshiro? yuji yeah, sorry th- sorry <laughs> yeah yeah Yuzo koshiro uh the composer of streets of rage 2 and 1 and 3 mm-hmm. and these games yes what
0: about him so you got to uh, you got to know him pretty well
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for the most part, I know a lot of the video music scene in Japan over the years. Uh, uh, today, I don't really know how, and I, I'm very lucky, I guess. But uh, yeah, the 2000s, again, it was just kind of like reaching out, talking to them, and treating them you know, with respect, and then uh, becoming friends. So... Uh, koshiro i know very well and i took care of his trip to the u.s at that time um and i still visit him when i go to japan so i'm good friends with his mother too <laughs> she's a very lovely woman
0: that's very cool so uh, i do you have any um try to word this the right way like uh in all the people that you've met are there any stories that stand out for uh, you know Speaking to these developers, is there anything that they they told you that you, you know, something that you would want to share, I guess, you know, there's, you know, sometimes you meet a composer or a musician and they, they have a story behind the song type of thing. Like, Is there anything that really stands out that you, that always sat with you that any of these amazing people were able to describe?
1: Oh man, I, the only, the one that made the most impact on me is one I can't describe. And uh, that's, uh, there was a composer named uh, Umamoto Ryu, uh, who was uh, probably my closest friend in life. And he pa- passed in 2011, unfortunately. Sorry. And uh, yeah, that, still to this day, I have, uh, I've I never spoken publicly about him much just because it's very hard for me still to kind of come to terms with the fact that uh, he passed. But uh, he was someone that uh, he, in Japan, the circle of like, koshiro yuzo and yuonao keishi and all these like master composers from the japanese home computer scene he was kind of regarded as the god of that Uh, and when i was it was in 97 i think that i got aware of him i got a game that he had worked on called eve burst error and i noticed his name in the credits because the first time i heard that music i was just it was like a wall hit me. It was the very first time I can remember that music had uh, a spiritual impact on me. And <clears throat> when, so I tried to figure out back then, you know, I couldn't find much Japanese information on, there was no Google. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, uh, there's a legend at my elementary school because somehow uh, someone installed a Windows. Uh, 95 with Japanese local on it, the library computer on it. Uh, no one knows how, but I do. Uh, but uh, so I, ju- and I did that just because I wanted to figure out how to like spell his name. And it took forever. It took a month for me to figure out what, Kanji was actually his name i could only type in the game i knew mm-hmm. and from there i like i was an early student of google foo <laughs> i was just kind of like figuring out whatever i could and then finally i nailed down okay this this repeats and then i found a picture of him with like the kanji underneath so i could finally draw it on a piece of paper and since then i just was obsessed with his music and uh never talked to him or anything like that at that time it was 97 98 so the concept of talking then was uh, i was a little bit too young i guess and the internet was too young Mm. wasn't ready yet uh but over the last over the next 10 years you know as i said i built up a reputation for japanese video game music and all this and there was a there was a i don't know if you are familiar with like chiptune music Mm. much but there was a festival called blip festival Mm. and i was invited as a guest to that eventually and uh, on that show, there was a Japanese artist called Hari, or Halley, in the U.S. And Halley is basically, I guess, my contemporary in Japan. He's like a video game music uh, historian, but he knows way more than me. So, uh, I-, I don't think I managed to reach up to his uh, legendary status. But he's a good friend of mine, and th- this was our first meeting. And I just remember that, like, people were super hyped about this, that we were going to meet as if we were going to shout out, like, video music by meeting or something. Uh, it was really just too boring men's thing that I was like, you know about that? It's like, yeah. <laughs> so, but I was talking to him, and he was, like, very, he was picking my brain, because I think it was the first time he had met a Westerner that could talk about PC-98 music at any great length at the time. I think now it's been a little bit more widespread. Mm-hmm. But at the time, he was very impressed, and he was like, oh, what's your favorite vegan composers and i was like oh two and three is impossible for me to say because two and three changes every day i have so many i love but number one never changes and he's like oh what's number one and i was like umamoto ryu and i remember he stopped he was like staring at me like and he was like did you just say moto ryu and i was like yes and I, now i was getting nervous because i was like oh god He probably is, like, a modern-day Jack the Ripper, isn't he? Uh, Like, he probably murdered, like, 15 people. And now I said it, right? It's like, you'd like that guy? Uh, But then he was like, Humo Rio is my office partner. Like, we share an office. Uh, Like, I have to, like, tell him that he has a fan like you out there. And I was like, oh, don't don't bother him with this. I have, you know, I'm no one. And he's, like, a legend. So he's like, no, no, I'll tell him. And so we went separate ways and I figured he would just forget and nothing would come of this. So I just went home too. Uh, But then two weeks later, you know, there was that kanji I had studied uh, when I was a kid in my email box. And I remember I stared at that email for what felt like an hour, probably (laughs) was 10 minutes, but I just stared at it and I could not, I, I couldn't, like I couldn't connect with the world right now. Like I wasn't sure like what is this, Cause that music had such an impact on me. So finally I clicked it and it said almost verbatim it was something like, hello, Adi, uh, Hadi san told me about you. It's very nice to meet you. Tell me more about yourself. And that was the email. Uh, every word was misspelled, but uh, <laughs> it was still the email. So, and I sent him a very humble email back saying like, your music has meant more to me than anything else. And I'm very happy and humble that you sent me an email and, uh, you know please let me know if you're working on any new music i would love to hear it and he emailed me back it was like oh thank you so much but uh not not it said thank you so much but not important tell me more about yourself and i was like mm, uh, and so i emailed him back and i was like well really if you have anything new i would <laughs> love to hear it cause i haven't heard anything new from you and he's like, ah, oh, don't worry about my work. Tell me about yourself. I'm like, motherfucker, what do you want to know about me? He's like, I haven't done anything. Like, just tell me if you've done anything new. So we actually had, like, a small argument of emails, I guess, that very first day. But no, we started then corresponding a lot. And uh, I eventually and of course, got to meet him. And I became his closest friend in life, I think. Uh, at least from what I understand from his family. Uh, but... <clears throat> Um, he when I met him it was he was such a he was a very humble man he didn't have any ego and when I asked him about his music it was clear to me that it had a lot of personal meaning to him because he had like this red notebook which I actually have uh, laying in some boxes over there because his family sent me his estate after he passed uh, but in that notebook was just scribbles of like uh, diagrams and numbers and uh, it all correlated with Zen Buddhism. Uh, he founded all of his music in Zen. And I guess that's what I learned from that. Was Because like, I'm not a Buddhist necessarily, but he taught me a lot about Zen. Hmm. And I've taken that with me throughout my life, and especially now the last couple of years when I kind of come back on my feet. Uh, that's been instrumental also just kind of just keeping balance. And uh, for him... This was his key to life, but for me, I think Knowing him and learning from him and watching him was my key because he really taught me a lot about just being the person I am because he was such a He was such a smart humble guy. I really couldn't imagine. I didn't understand really Why he was my friend because I'm not smart (laughs) and he was a genius, but he loved talking to me uh we talked on skype for hours and he started uh, practicing english just because he wanted to like connect with western fans and we started working together on projects and i never quite understood but uh you know he was like a brother to me and then uh, he passed in 2011 uh, quite suddenly so i got to speak with him a couple weeks before he passed luckily on the phone but uh, it's still something that I deal with uh, quite a lot internally.
0: Yeah, he sounds uh, he sounds pretty incredible. I actually also lost yeah. my best friend like f- seven years ago now. So uh, while I, I don't know but, what you're feeling, I certainly know how it affected me. So uh, I hear you on a it's, lot of that.
1: Uh, you know, it never goes away. Loss never goes away. And you never... You never you try to fill it and then you learn not to fill that void. you learn to you learn to remember and kind of live with that void, but appreciate also what they leave, left behind and what they gave you. So in a sense you have to kind of embrace that you have to kind of embrace that void in a way it's part of you and it shape it continues to shape me and continues to teach me a lot about what I would want to do for him to say I'm proud of you or that's this is cool or whatever it is. I think about him quite a lot when I do even when I do videos with like Lindman. I often think about what kind of reaction he would have uh, to either it, a good way and a humor he for some reason he thought I was a very funny guy. So he always laughed a lot. So I always put, like, dry humor in our DF stuff. And it usually is because I kind of feel like he is watching it, as weird as that sounds. So, yeah, uh, that loss never goes away. And you, you should never forget either. The memories are very important.
0: Well, I think everybody that we interact with shapes who we are as people. So I don't think the memory ever could go away. I think anybody that you had no. a relationship with that's going to be with you forever so that's a it's kind of a a cheesy but cool way to to remember that the people that you know will always kind of live on
1: yeah for me i mean uh i made a promise when he passed that like i would always share uh, i haven't been too good at it maybe but like I, i will always share his memory and i will share his music and i will make sure that like people do remember him and Uh, When he passed, I did a huge article for Gamasutra, where I did a memorial of him, and I got all of his friends, like Koshiro and these guys, to talk about him in that article. And uh, a few years ago, I was invited to Japan for the memorial, uh, like a memorial concert for him as a guest. And uh, his family was actually there, and I had had always just corresponded with them on email. I never met them, but his mother and brother was there at that time and uh it was a very uh, i've never you know i'm how to explain this in words but we were all so happy being there remembering him but we were also all crying like a lot and it was very unusual to see this in japan people openly but everyone was smiling and then as we kind of left the venue his family turned to me and like actually gave me a hug which is very unusual for Japanese and uh, his mother said family that was the only English word she told me It was just family and uh, it's
0: a really nice story that's really
1: good Still, um, very hard to talk about but yes it was very uh, special so I did get <clears throat> I did get his estate so I have mo- lots of boxes of his unpublished works and stuff as well so Hopefully one day I get to do. I know Lindman has talked sometimes to me about like we should do some video music stuff and definitely on Imamoto Ryu. So hopefully one day we get to do that soon.
0: Yeah, it'd be cool to put together. You know, just like in your spare time, no rush, put together like a documentary about the you know the works and everything.
1: Yeah, if if people want to learn more, you can go to Gamasutra and just search his name because mm-hmm. uh, the article is still up, I believe. So that. Shows you a lot of his childhood stuff because uh, it was weird. He he kind of gave me a lot of his memorabilia before he passed, uh, which you know probably means something. But uh, yeah, I got a lot of this before he even passed. I had childhood pictures and stuff, and so when I did that the uh, Kamasutra memorial, uh, I actually had all this access to his childhood photos and whatnot, and. Even his closest friends in Japan had never seen any of this. So I remember they were just like, "Where did you get this?" It's like he gave it to me like half a year ago. I don't know why, but I kind of also realize now probably a reason for this.
0: Yeah, you know, I'll definitely post a link to that um, for anybody that wants no, to thanks. read it. You know, if, uh, I'll make sure to check in with you after this and get all uh, links to all the cool stuff that we want to share with people. But that's pretty. That was a nice story.
1: We haven't even talked about the CDI or Df Retro yet. Wow. well
0: cdi <laughs> i have something coming up that i think i'm gonna have some oh, fun no. with uh but uh, yeah you know I, I, I definitely wanted to go on to the df retro and see how you got involved with john um i met him through Corey, <laughs> um and john was incredibly gracious to me um he was a, a big help in a lot of the the tweaking I needed to do with my videos and stuff, and he absolutely didn't need to be at all. He could have, in every right, he would have had every right to be like, no, I'm not doing your, your interview, and I don't have time to deal with you and your your stupid video problems, but he was the opposite. He was, and and still is a, a giant help, so I'm forever indebted to John, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, certainly um, certainly glad to have met him. So, how did you get involved?
1: Uh, so, this was, I think... <laughs> Um, I think this was 2017 mm-hmm. where, you know, as I mentioned, I was pretty much down to the... I I had pretty much just kind of moved on and was just doing my day job as day job and went home and just kind of didn't do anything video game related. Mm-hmm. And then it just so happened that uh, I was actually in Tokyo uh, at the offices for my company there and my colleague was like, hey, do you know this? Because it's a, you know, it's a Westerner doing a video and... I looked over and there was a video about soul reaver like legacy of kane soul reaver and i was like oh don't recognize and he's like oh well you know this is really good like this you know really cool video it's really detailed and i was like okay cool and he's like didn't you used to do this stuff like didn't you used to write these articles and like he just kind of like investigated (laughs) and i was like a long time ago like but uh he's probably gonna start talking about poop soon enough like, just give it, give it five minutes <laughs> so but he didn't uh, not, not until i joined the team but then like uh yeah so but i was kind of intrigued because you know as i mentioned my impression of youtube was very different but here was like a documentary on this game i wasn't even a big i'm not a big soul reaver or, or like of Kane fan necessarily i know about them i play them but the video made me super invested and interested in it, which, you know, meant it's very well made. And again, I was just kind of like, oh, I didn't know this existed. So I started looking into more of his videos when I got home. And I think he had a video on Shenmue and uh, Duke Nukem, I remember watching. and I wonder if already he had done Panzer Dragoon at that time. I forget the timeline for his videos. But, yeah, I was just kind of like, okay, well, this dude is doing, you know, really good work. Probably the best I've ever seen in terms of, like, video documentary stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, this is great. And I was just kind of curious, who is this Dark 1X uh, guy? Uh, Wasn't active on Twitter or anything. So, like, I couldn't really look up too much about him. But it just so happened that uh, we were both members of a bigger video forum at the time. And uh, I don't think it exists anymore now or has turned to the dark side somehow. But we were on that, and uh, I saw there was a thread about his latest video, which I forgot which one was. But uh, in there, I was just kind of curious what people thought of it. And, you know, of course, they all praised him as they should. But I saw John post it, and I was like, oh, so he's actually part of this forum. Interesting. And he mentioned that he was very burnt out, hmm. and that, you know, He kind of just felt like he was striving for something more, but uh, couldn't quite get there. And I was like, okay, so I know how this feels. And I, you know, my VV's, uh, uh, my partner's uh, advice echoed in my head. So I was like, I reached, I, for some reason, I usually don't even contact people much, but for some reason I just felt compelled to kind of tell him like, hey, you know, I saw this Soul Reaver video, I saw the Shenmue video, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I used to do something similar, but it's really cool to see that like you do it a hundred times better than I ever could. So like, just want to say like, really appreciate your work, and I hope you feel better. I've dealt with burnout myself, and I just kind of gave him, you know, my support. Nothing, nothing special. But he uh, responded, and I think he was a little bit aware of me actually, and uh, he was just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, where like, where you been? <laughs> you should. Uh, should talk. And uh, so we just kind of started talking a little bit about burnout initially, but then uh, this was right around the time that Gamescom was going to happen in uh, Kern, in Germany. Mm -hmm. So he was like, hey, you know, why don't we meet up? You know, if you're going to be there with work and I'm going to be there with work, why not just figure something out? And I was like, "Eh, maybe. I'm still very unsure about meeting people or dealing with anything. So... But I was like, hey, you know what, fine. Oh, well, why not? Mexican food is good. And Mexican food will become our traditional meal when we meet up. So we met at the Mexican restaurants. And, man, it took probably less than, I'd say, less than two minutes. And we were just sitting there firing back and forth about ideas. And, like, you know, we were right. We were best friends immediately he he was just kind of like yeah well you know that guy we should do this type of video and i was like yeah yeah do you know about this game he's like yeah it's like yeah i have all that documentation at home i was you know i did the research many years ago talked to the creator you you should do that video you should do that video i can supply you whatever you need and he was like yeah 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 so it was just an insane feast of mexican food and ideas (laughs) uh So, yeah, we just became immediately friends. I I think, again, it was just kind of a... We were both very comfortable with each other because we had similar experiences, we had similar approach to what we did, and I don't know, just always been someone that I guess is kind of easy to talk to, hopefully. Um, So, we went home from Gamescom, and shortly thereafter, he was just kind of like, you know what, why... you know, He knew that I was struggling. I think he could tell. I, I haven't talked to him about it, but I'm going to assume. I think he could tell that I was very down the dumps. Uh, because, you know, I was giving him a lot of ideas. I was offering, I could give him a lot. But he was like, you know, why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> like, seems like you're capable. So, why don't you come down and hang out at my place? You know, get get some distance from your work. You know, just, you, you know, just come hang out. Have fun. And I was... I remember how I had so much trepidation about going there. I, I really I, I told VP like several times I, I shouldn't go. Like I really I'm going to let him down. Like I'm just going to show up. I'm going to be really not funny. Not fun to be around and just tired and he's, if he wants me to like help out on the video I don't think I don't have that talent. And she was like you need to we really need to stop doing this and go just see him even if he asks and you say no, he's going to just say, okay, and then there is no disappointment. You just go and play video games then, be 12 years old again, have a sleepover. So uh, I finally went down and uh, the <laughs> that trip ended up being very special because, you know, as I said, I was very down, but immediately, you know, his, uh, you know, uh, John, uh, John's wife, Sylvie, incredible person she just so warm immediately welcomed me in and just very funny very charming and just made me feel at home and i hadn't felt at home even in my own like that was the thing i hadn't felt at home with myself for so long but here was like all these people kind of like it's great to meet you you know you're so welcome here and uh, i i hadn't welcomed myself anywhere for the last 7 years so it was you know pretty big change. It's it's small. It doesn't sound like anything. I'm sure people listening to this can just be like, she just said hello. But no, no. It was just subtle kind of welcoming. And the hug and the charming welcoming that like made me feel at ease. So at that point, uh, I think this was around February uh, that this happened. So, John was kind of like, you know, do you have any ideas for the April Fool's video that would you know, I could do, and I was like, hmm, I don't know, and I was like, well, why don't we, like, do something together where, you know, I can help you script something, but what if you do a Bubsy video, because I'm a big fan of Bubsy, Uh, why don't you do a Bubsy video, but the joke is that it's a real episode, we just, you don't break character, you don't wink at the camera, you just do an episode on Bubsy. And that's the joke. And he was like, yeah, I love this. This this, this is great. Why? Yeah, Can you help with that? And I was like, sure. So I just wrote the script uh, from, you know, there and then and show it to him. And he's like, yes, like, we got to do this. Uh, And he had done a video earlier where he did Resident Evil 2 with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Alex Neal. And Alex is like this incredible wealth of knowledge on... Resident Evil so like Alex can you can just tell him to just you know talk and he'll talk forever about it and be really good so I was like well you just did that Resident Evil 2 video where you had the Resident Evil expert you should have the Bubsy expert and when people watch it like you know Alex is at I think he's on the right side of the frame whoever is doing the Bubsy stuff should be on the left side of the frame it should be like a bizarro thing where you know it's is subtle little detail and John was like I love this like yeah this is gonna be amazing let's do it and but the thing was I never planned on it being me because I was like I'm not stepping in front of a camera I'm not doing any of this <laughs> like I can't do this but then more and more as I thought about it because I figured like we'd call like uh, Batalia, like his partner crime over at Digital Foundry uh, just bring him up and like he can pretend but uh, that turned out to be kind of like a long trip for him to do and I don't think he knew what Bubsy was. <laughs> and then I thought more and more about it and I was like, for this to work, you need someone that has no expression, has no emotion, has no ability to like show any type of bias or facial, you know, happiness when talking about this. He should just be a dry.
0: Do you expert. have to pull you have to pull off complete deadpan exactly
1: you have to be deadpan and not break character no one else could do it (laughs) so so i told john i was like i guess i guess i'll be the expert huh and he's like you you want to do it like i would love if you would do it but no not forcing you and i was like i guess you know just you know for one episode of bubzy it would be fun uh, my only thing was like, well, the only thing I need from you is that you credit me as the world headweight champion of Bumpy. <laughs> and he did. That's awesome. But the thing was that, like, you know, we went up uh, to the same spot he had done the residual video. And uh, for whatever, you know, as you mentioned, John is so supportive. He's such a. John is an incredible person, like, uh, behind the camera. And he's super supportive, super friendly. And he just you know, he never doubted I could do it, which I found kind of strange he should never trust that I can do anything I felt, so he was just like alright, well, just go like, and I just ad-libbed everything I was just like, okay, camera rolling like, he sent me a question about Bubsy and then we filmed almost all of it in one take and it was such an amazing feeling there and then that I felt like I can do things again you know, just these slow steps back like realizing that maybe i'm not that incompetent that i keep telling myself but we'll see i mean I haven't seen the video yet uh but yeah so we filmed all this and i was still just kind of like what's gonna happen like i i figured that like the fan base would just be kind of like oh you know, I've seen Married with children. Uh, you know, adding this uh, third child. Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. You know, right. like <laughs> I, I, I know who Bert Ward is. Like, I really, I was just kind of like, oh god, they're gonna hate this. Like, they're gonna, because no one likes the friend. The like, no one wants that. But amazingly, when that video came out, it came out right before GDC. I remember because I went to GDC. Amazingly, when I was because I kind of kept away from it because I figured it was going to be so toxic. What the hell did I do? Like, why would I do this to myself? But then the day it came out, uh people reached out to me. It was either like, it's so good to see you back. Boy, have you, you know, you put on some pounds. <laughs> and, you know, other people were just like, that guy is, like, funny. Like, you see, you know, he he seems like he means what he's saying. Little did they know I did. <laughs> and... uh You know, it's just like this, you know, all this positivity that I was not prepared for. So it was very emotional for me. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the beginning because at that GDC, I was walking around. People were like, you're the Bubsy guy. And and then suddenly from behind, someone did the Bubsy voice. And it turned out to be the voice of Bubsy from the original Genesis and Super Nintendo game. So I got to meet him. It was just, like, an incredible time, <laughs> that uh, that trip. That's awesome. Uh, I couldn't believe. And then the team from uh, that did the new Bubsy, the Paws of Fury game, they approached me because they were just like, we're making the new one. We're going to make you happy. <laughs> we're going to make you so happy and proud. And I was like, you already did. And uh, so it was amazing. And then, yeah, so that was the very start that... Um, of me stepping on to camera on tf long story but no that's uh, that cool. was the beginning that is
0: really cool you know i just a couple of weeks ago i interviewed jose tejada um hotego one of mm. the uh the fpga developers then yeah 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 we were talking about um like breaking up projects and and i made a point about small wins that i kind of I've had to remind myself on a constant basis and I don't know if this would kind of apply to you at all but I certainly don't mind repeating myself sorry for everybody listening but you know <laughs> there were many times in my life where I'd been working on multiple projects at once that were long-term projects and I yeah. specifically remember one time where you know we would have these Friday meetings and everybody would kind of get around the table at the end of the day and say you know what did you accomplish this week And three weeks in a row, I mean, there were big projects, so nothing was finished. And I was so frustrated, you know, it came to me and they're like, oh, what did you do this week? I was like, nothing, nothing. I did absolutely nothing. I'm freaking useless. I don't know. I don't know why you guys <laughs> keep me here. I have no, you know, I have no business even being in this meeting. Nothing's happened, and everybody laughed. You know,
1: welcome to my world. Yeah, because
0: you know, everybody laughed because they know, you know, they saw me there. You know, they knew I was doing yeah. stuff, but that is absolutely how I felt in the moment. And then the good thing about when you have multiple projects like that is they often tend to finish at the same time. So then you have that pretty awesome like look at all the stuff that I just did. But I. I it, that never left me. So I always try to make sure I have little wins in between bigger projects. And one of the great things mm-hmm. about retro RGB is, you know, uh, very often, you know, the most important article of the week is just simply, you know, don't forget pre-orders are open for this thing that everybody wants on Friday, you know? So, it, yeah, yeah, it's important to get those out, even though they're not as, uh, you know, 10 years from now, no one's going to go back and reread that. But in that moment, it's important. And then, you know, tweet it out. Hey, everybody, don't forget about this. Or so I do get those small wins that, that remind me like, you know, what I do isn't useless. So I think without those, I could very easily fall into, you know, fall into that trap. But yeah, try to remind yourself oh, yeah. little wins.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So You know, the Bubsy video was a shock to me uh, that people actually, for one, remembered. That was one bigger shock. Uh, But uh, second of all, just the acceptance. I never expected the acceptance from the community. And it really has been incredible still to this day, the amount of tweets and stuff I get now. It's not always about the best games, as uh, you probably know by now. But uh, it's still funny to just see how, you know... They regard me as someone funny and, you know, entertaining because I, at the time, didn't. And I really have to give a lot of praise and, well, praise is probably a word, but I have to give a lot of thanks to Digital Foundry as a channel because shortly after that Bubsy video, you know, we went to E3 together, me and John, because, you know, we had been, been become very close friends very quickly. So we stayed together for E3 and I met uh, Richard Ledbetter there and you know Richard is someone I read as a kid I actually cited him in an article I did once saying that he was an inspiration of mine because he was so he he was someone that was kind of dry humor but his information was always so good in like Mean Machines and the uh, official Sega magazines so when I met Richard I was shocked that he was the, sh- the boss of the show foundry I was like that's your boss like I know who he is uh, and he was just kind of like, oh, so you're the Bubsy man. <laughs> and, uh, so that was an interesting meeting, but you know, for, you know, digital foundry had no, they didn't have any reason to really keep using me in any way because I, you know, I've got to think honestly about it. I had just been a joke. I had been a, you know, a joke in a Bubsy video for them. So like bringing me back for anything would seem kind of far fetched in my opinion. But at that E3, without any hesitation or anything, you know, they were just like, oh, why don't you do correspondence for us at E3? You know, Why don't you just step in with John and like do this on-camera segment talking to other fans? And I, was, I still can't believe they gave that trust to me. But again, it was just these building blocks for me to kind of feel like I'm still very much there in headlights when you watch those videos, because it's still very fresh for me. But just that trust and that appreciation for the fact that I'm not the best presenter. I'm not the most good looking guy or anything, but I can get the information across. I can keep my line straight and I can, you know, keep time Uh, except for this interview. This runs way (sighs) too long, but like, uh, yeah, it was amazing to see that trust they gave me and that, you know, turned into basically a semi regular, guest appearance, because I think I was in one video per month in the, uh, 2019. Mm. And uh, yeah, they just kept bringing me back and back and the games got worse and worse and I suddenly realized that this was the key to it all. <laughs> they just want me to play all this crap. <laughs> just sink my career.
0: That's funny. I do have to respectfully disagree with you about, uh, about something you just said. I don't think anybody that saw that Bubsy video would have thought of you as a joke I think that I think the opposite. I think while it was you know, while it was funny, I think that showed that you were able to, to do content in that way. So I don't you know, while while you could say the video was a joke, I don't think anybody would have ever interpreted either of you as a joke or the butt of the joke or something. It's not like you were the guy that showed up and they dumped a bucket of water on you and laughed and then moved to the next scene, <laughs> you know. That that would be different. But so yeah. I, I could absolutely see how somebody could could extrapolate from that that humor that there's actually a lot more going on there so glad glad you got those small wins (laughs) see small little wins yeah
1: I really appreciate you saying that I mean for me it was no joke it was a very serious topic of Bubsy but yeah I just figured from the audience perspective it's just like why is the pubsy guy back to talk about news at e3 like why why is he relevant to all this oh. but no they were immediately like bring audi back and all this stuff it was really amazing and uh you know over that year it was just uh more and more people were just kind of like i like audi you know, i i still don't quite understand why i have no ego but uh i mean i try my best then to just treat them as friends and you know, talk about Alfred Chicken and the CDI like they want me. Oh,
0: the CDI, the CDI. <laughs> so, where did your uh, where did your love for the CDI stem from? Did you have one growing up?
1: No, I saw one at the electronics boutique in the glass uh, chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, always tempting, you know. Wow, it's, there's a CD system from Philips that has a Mario game on it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's like, and I can never play it. Yeah. So I just remember seeing that in, like, the Zelda games and uh, some other games. Thunder in Paradise. My God, I was a huge fan of Thunder in <laughs> Paradise, the TV show. And the fact that it was a video game based on it that I could not play was, like, the biggest breakup of my life. Like, no woman can hurt me <laughs> as much as F- uh, Thunder in Paradise on CDI ever did. And so, I mean, I always had a fascination for it. I always had a fascination for it. You know, as you can tell, like, from... Japanese home computers and whatnot I always had a fascination for systems with kind of undiscovered uncharted territory of libraries mm-hmm. and the CDI for the longest time you know it's not emulated or it wasn't for the longest time And so I was just kind of curious about it and I started picking up games I never had a CDI for a long time I just had the actual games because I saw them for like pennies in buckets at like flea markets where they probably belong yeah. considering I play them now and uh, then, yeah, what started all that was just, I think John John just thought it was so funny that I kind of had a little, bit, like, a shred of respect for that system. I mean, it's gone now. But, I mean, at the time, I was just kind of like, well, it has Thunder in Paradise. And he's like, "That's that means nothing to, to humanity. You know that, right? And then, uh, so, uh, yeah, then fans started picking up on this, Because in videos, John just started kind of mentioning, like, well, you're a CDI fan, Now It's like, don't say that loud. I still have living parents. And it's like, so this is just something fans jumped on. And it's now, after 17 years in the industry working with uh, legends and greats, I'm here stuck talking about the CDI every week.
0: That's hysterical. Yeah, I got uh, a friend of mine. Uh, shout out to Justin, aka Goodwill Hunter, uh, scored me a ton of games. Um, I'd purchased oh. a couple. Uh, I purchased Tetris and Thunder in Paradise. Um, I, and I think I had one other. He got me a bunch. Uh, I picked up a mouse, uh, one of those new old stock. There's somebody in the U.S. that seems to have oh, cool. uh, ordered away thousands of these things. Um, and then uh, there, I now have two top loaders. Each that have had um, new lasers, new timekeepers, and RGB modded. So,
1: oh man, th- those timekeepers! What what great design, oh, right? Gross. That, that's Dutch design, through and through. So,
0: if anybody doesn't know, it's a chip that you know keep keeps the time, but it also syncs things up, and it has a standard twenty thirty two, well, like you know, like Dreamcast VMU style battery yep. in the chip. So your two choices are inside the inside the chip. Inside the chip molded around the battery. So your two choices when that dies is to buy another timekeeper chip and hope that the new one that you've bought hasn't been sitting on a shelf for 20 years and already has a dead battery or to Dremel out the chip and then replace the battery that way. So my friend Jose did both of these for me. uh, (laughs) A friend of mine from Belgium actually sent me a PAL one uh, and then I I found a, a super cheap one in the US like a year or two ago. And one of them has the MPEG card, so I feel like for a, uh, you know for a project like this, you need two because something's definitely going to go wrong on one of them. It's just the way it is with retro stuff. So hopefully, I'll oh, have you're a fun you're project. still
1: running you're still running such a risk just having two. Yes. Like you you need you need a room of CDIs because they they'll break for whatever reason. You look at them wrong, or you, you played Lucky Luke for too long. Like it's anything and it breaks. Yeah. Which uh, I mean, how could you not love it? Yeah.
0: Well, I'm very excited. Uh, Thunder in Paradise is absolutely on the agenda. We're gonna have a couple others. I'm gonna I'm gonna have some fun with this one. You have to you have to drop by during that. It's gonna be a live stream. Yes,
1: absolutely. So. Yes, absolutely. So I mean, I I finally got to play it. I have a very short story I can share about Thunder in Paradise because uh, I I have the light the peacekeeper, which is the it's not even a light gun; it's an IR gun right. for the CDI. It's actually really precise for the time as yeah, it's a blue plastic gun. I think you've seen it. My
0: friend just sent me one uh, to borrow for this video, so I'll be able to try it live oh, cool. for the first time.
1: It's really good, actually. But what uh, John was like, you, you should bring it down. We should play it on a DF play. And I was like, all right. So, But when I go to John's place, I usually just bring a carry-on. And I didn't think about this. So I went through security, and all the alarms sounded off. You just You know, red alarms, like in the cartoon shows. And I was like, oh. That's interesting i wonder who did this and then they came over to me it's like is this your bag it's like yes so like, can you open the bag slowly it's like sure so i opened it slowly it's like what's that it's like it's my underpants with ninja turtles on it it's like can you like remove that it's like all right and then underneath was the cdi uh, ir gun the peacekeeper they're like what's that sir and i was like uh that's that's a gun for a video game console it's like which video game console? I never seen that before. <laughs> so to this, the CDI, and they're like, I never heard of the CDI. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's not too common. It's like, what's some games for it? Because they were trying to figure out if I was just lying or not. It's like instead of saying like Mario and Zelda, I for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to say like oh, it has like Mad Dog McCree, the Apprentice, and like the Joy of Sex. And they were just like, uh, we have no idea what any of this is. Uh, come with us. So I had to go to a second screening room, be patted down, and then they confiscated my uh, my gun. So I had to pay 200 bucks when I came back oh. to get that out of confiscation. So John was like, why didn't you bring the gun, dude? It's like, because I got confiscated and patted down because of that gun. That's
0: hysterical. The so, funny thing is, if there was the people of a right age group, if you had said Mad Dog, Mac- Mad Dog McCree, like... They they could in have just Europe? looked at that and gone, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, okay, makes sense. <laughs> I don't know in Europe if anyone would have that reaction
1: to Mad Dog McCree. Really? I mean, it wasn't but, a good uh, game,
0: but it was all over the place in the U.S.
1: I, I, maybe, yeah, in the U.S. I could see it. I mean, this is a European airport, so I really don't know if that was the right answer to uh, say. It. I think Mario and Zelda would at least be kind of like, I kind of know those names, I guess, this is true but because they were just like you're you're talking gibberish so I had to go to the second screening room so the CDI cost it actually I think ended up being noted in the local newspaper <laughs> that, like the alar- the alarms had gone off due to a toy gun and I almost wanted to send them a correction it's like it's not a toy it's <laughs> a CDI, CDI. <laughs> light gun <laughs> I used to be a journalist oh jeez
0: that's hysterical <laughs> So,
1: so yeah that's that was uh, the reason why that DF play never happened yet. I, now it is at
0: John's place. I can't wait to see that, and I also couldn't think of a better way to end this with a friggin' almost nope. got arrested because of a CDI-like gun story. <laughs> so uh, where where is the best place to find you for people that want to follow you? Is it Twitter?
1: Oh, it's definitely Twitter. Uh, if you go to PC98 underscore Audi, that's me. Uh, if you want to follow me for whatever reason and uh, send me a question or whatever you want, and uh, you can go to amazon and you can buy my book there it's wrestling with pixels it's every wrestling game ever made written about with uh, interviews with creators and everything it's finally ready and out and uh yeah i guess that's the best places to find me it would be twitter awesome or of course subscribe to digital foundry mm-hmm. and maybe just maybe i'll show up there even this Christmas. Awesome.
0: Uh, I'll of course have links to all of the stuff for anybody. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely do this again soon. At some point we'll, we'll pick another topic and, and have some fun with it.
1: Oh, we, there is a pretty big announcement coming in the coming weeks and months from me and Lindman, So I'm sure we'll
0: both be back very soon. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Well, thank you very much for your time, Audie, And uh, we'll, we'll definitely do this oh, again soon. anytime. Okay.